You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thanks, Colin. Well, good morning. You know, I was uh, looking at the announcements and realized that every young parent, when they're looking at the, uh, the overheads, they're looking for one phrase and it stands out. I mean, like in bold print, even if it's not in bold print, you know what it is? Child care available. Yeah, they, that's the one that stands out. I want to know if we're going to do a class down the road uh, for parents who have intense emotions and who are strong-willed as well. So, you know, we probably should, we should probably get on the same page there, shouldn't we? Well, it's good to see you this morning, and if you're our guest, once again, we, we're so glad. We really are. We're glad that you're here today, and we're going to do something um, for the next few weekends. We're going to do a mini-series, and this has been on my heart for a while now, uh, and it has to do with generosity. It has to do with hospitality. It has to do with how Jesus has treated us, and then how would we treat others? And it's something I think that's really big right now. It's something we need to pay attention to. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about living a generous life. And what does that look like? And who's modeled that for us is Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about that. I'm excited. And one of the ways that we do that is through people's stories and how God has touched people's lives, people who have lived and are living generous lives. And the person I think about, many of you I think about, but the person I think about often who lives a generous life is Arlene Tatum. And Arlene is uh, one of our great missionaries to Africa. And so I just asked her if she would just come. And this is what I want her to do. I want her to give you a report about what's going on there in uh, Central Africa and the things that she's experienced. And just talk to us for a little bit because this really is about a generous life. And Arlene, thank you for being generous with your time and your money and your resources and who you are. Uh, we experience that. We, we know that here. And this has been now 11 years. You've been going to, to Uganda, Rwanda, and the areas around. And so thank you. Thank you for your generosity and for living a generous life. So would you welcome Arlene Tatum? Would you do that? Come on up, Arlene. This is the uh, latest African fashion. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Here, I can good morning. There you go. How's that? Does that work for you? It's even at the right height. There you go. I like yeah, it how. works, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, according to First Chronicles 6, 8, I am here today to give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, and make known what he has done by giving you a brief report of International Reconciliation Ministries summer trip. I first went to Africa in 2005, and this was my 14th time to visit wow. the Great Lakes region. Hmm. As you see, Uganda is sandwiched between tiny Rwanda and a much larger Kenya. Now, although we did not go to Rwanda this trip due to some civil unrest there, there were a number of our men and women pastors who came for a lunch meeting with us when we were in southern Uganda. They reported to us about their continuing prison follow-up visits and with the spiritual leader training program that uh, IRM implemented in every prison in Rwanda. They also reported that the IRM office continues to be open and ministers to women dying of HIV-AIDS mm. and little children while also having uh, church services of many kinds. Uh, this year, I mainly work with Pastor Aaron, Pastor Jeffrey, 
Pastor Peace and Alfred Mapenzi, our Africa Vice President. But both the Ugandan Foursquare Pastor John and the Kenyan Foursquare Pastor Joseph said they wanted to be more involved with IRM's prison ministry. IRM is fortunate to have local pastors that we work together with in regards to sharing the gospel, teaching discipleship lessons on growing in Christ, and forgiveness, which brings reconciliation. But right from the beginning of the trip, we watched God provide and care for us as we went, ran into various um, difficulties, but those difficulties gave us an opportunity to give him praise. Mm. But I must admit, there were a few times mm -hmm. that I wondered if God was working on my character in the area of patience. Yes. <laughs> Although we had ordered 2,444 Lugandan, Rinkori, Swahili, and English Bibles, the Uganda Bible Society could not find the certificate of credit from the American Bible Society. But by the end of the day, they did find it, and I really could give God praise as I watched our Bibles being delivered. Mm. Thank you for yeah. providing each one of those Bibles that, can, that is combined with a discipleship booklet that creates a handout. Mm. Every year yeah. with... That's good. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. But every year, God, without exception, gives us more opportunities for ministry than are on the scheduled itinerary, and this summer was no different. I was asked to speak to a graduating class of 700 at the International School of Christian Growth, where Pastor Peace graduated, and the school president has asked us to partner with them for a crusade next summer while we're there. Mm. God has a sense of humor. Yeah. Me in front of 700 students graduating. Uh, Africa is a continent of relationship first, and because of the good relationship IRM has built with the uh, correction services of Uganda, the deputy commissioner, Apollo, who we've worked with every year, delayed his vacation to meet with us, sign our request to enter 13 new prisons, uh, and order delivery of the 2,000 blankets that we were required to purchase. He also wrote a letter of recommendation for IRM so that we could open a bank account there. Mm. Most of the prisons that uh, we visit are considered small farm prisons with less than 100 inmates. But this year, we were approved to go to a maximum security prison. I pass on to you one of the statements from a prisoner. He said, we didn't know that we were valuable. And that people out there think of us. Thank you so very much for your generous heart. At the last prison that we visited in Uganda, we were able to hand deliver a Bible set to each prisoner. And as we were about to drive away, the warden told us that they were starting reading lessons with the Bibles to teach those inmates that did not know how to read wow. to read. But this was our first year to enter Kenya, where we scheduled two church village crusades, and we're just going to do some fact-finding concerning what prison ministry would look like there. Uh, our first crusade was with Pastor Ben, where the church was filled with villagers and pastors that had been transported in an open truck. 
but the pastor's wives were so happy with their new headscarves, and the pastors were thrilled to receive their first ever tie to go with their suit, as they had never had one. Then, although it was unscheduled, Pastor Ben and his friend, Chaplain Edward, arrived the next morning with Reverend Moses, the regional commandant of prisons, over the 31 prisons in that district to take us to Capengera Prison. And I'm sure I don't need to tell you how excited I was to do my very first Kenya crusade yeah. in a prison. Yeah, that's Woo-hoo. great. <laughs> that's good. Good stuff. We followed the same format of sharing the gospel, a time of discipleship followed by a challenge to forgive. They were thankful for the Bible sets, soap, and donated women's scarves that we brought. Because of the poverty in Africa, those donated scars are a tangible gift of God's love to them. And along with evangelism tracts, those scarves also provide a great opportunity to share the gospel everywhere that we travel. Our time in Africa gave the Holy Spirit the opportunity to work in the hearts of villagers, officials, prisoners, and team members. At one point, Pastor Aaron told me, Arlene, I've worked with you for a number of years, and every time you spoke on forgiveness, I felt a prick in my heart. Mm -hmm. I want you to know that today I prayed with you as you led in prayer, and I forgave my father. Mm. We ended our trip with a thank you dinner for the team and government officials where Commissioner Elizabeth stated, People go to the prisons and speak about scripture and salvation, but the component of forgiveness that Iran brings is of paramount importance. We all struggle with it. We will work with and support you whenever you choose to come. The Deputy Commissioner Apollo stated, It's a pleasure to be part of IRM's ministry, and nothing can be withheld from you. IRM is a special group compared to others who ask for permission to enter prisons. So far, the Lord has allowed IRM to do 120 entrances into 50 different African prisons. But here at home, God provided a new opportunity that I've been praying about for many years this last month. As I was invited to speak to both minimum and maximum security inmates at Coffee Creek Women's Prison Facility in Wilsonville, where 14 women received Christ. That's good stuff. This year, we watched as the Holy Spirit brought 490 rededications, 7,560 forgiveness decisions, and the salvation decisions were 6,659. <laughs> That's great. It is my profound pleasure to serve under God with all of you Mm -hmm. in this ministry. IRM could not do what we do without individual partnership from people like you. And that partnership with IRM is reaching the lost and broken, and it is making a difference. Thank you, partners, for providing for and sending me as your ambassador into the harvest to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples that make disciples. Please pray for the 2017 summer trip. And if you're interested on being a team member, please fill out one of these today, uh, no later than next week. And um, 
and I have my current newsletters out at the table. So again, thank you for your partnership that make all that you've seen possible. Thank you. Thank you. Stay right here. There's a lot of amazing things about, you know, Arlene's ministry and going to Africa. One for me is, if you've ever been to Africa or a developing nation, it's not an easy place for Westerners to be. Annette and I have been there. And then take it exponentially and go into prisons. So just imagine that. And Arlene has that call. God has placed on her life that anointing to go into those places that people just don't go. And she goes there. And uh, she's been doing this for 11 years now. And this is the amazing thing. All this started just kind of fomenting in your heart from a lot of places, but right here, just kind of in this kind of environment where we gather together and we talk about making disciples who make disciples. We can do that together. And Arlene is just a great testimony of that. Tell me how many people in the last 11 years have come to faith in Christ. Can you do that? Um, Hold that micro. 90-some thousand. 90-some thousand. We're pushing 100,000, folks. 100,000. All right. Good job. Good job. Man, Arlene, that is, uh, that is amazing. That is amazing. You're God's amazing. amazing. Yeah, thank you for living a generous life. And uh, Hold on. We want to help you get down. I don't want you. There we go. There we go. We don't want it. Yeah, come all the way back from Africa and something happens here. That's not good. That's not good. Do this with me. I'm going to give you just an abbreviated message, really, because it has to do with Arlene's message. It has to do with living a generous life. What I want you to do is two things for me, if you would. First of all, pull out your bulletin, and you'll notice on the back there's a place that you can take a few notes. So you can take these things home with you, um, study them a little more after the service. The second thing that I want you to do is I want you to pull out your Bible. If you brought your Bible today, you can open your Bible to Luke chapter 10. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we have blue Bibles all around the building under the seats in front of you. Pull out one of those blue Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, just period, don't have a Bible, uh, take that Bible with you, would you? It's a gift from us to you. We want you to have God's Word, so do that. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at that passage of Scripture, along with talking about things we celebrate. We celebrate what happened in Africa. We celebrate the things that God does. This last week, we have a lot to celebrate. Uh, Last weekend, we had five come to faith in Jesus Christ. Eight people were water baptized, and we had about eight, ten people filled with the Holy Spirit last week, just in a week period of time. So... Those are things that we know that God is doing in our lives, and he wants to continue to do that. And he does that so we reflect Jesus Christ. And one of the ways we do that is through our generosity. Uh, Your generosity, and this is probably one of the most generous churches that I know of, your generosity has helped a lot of things happen, not just here in this community, but around the world. And Arlene is a testimony of that, and others are too. By the way, be praying for Pastor Dave and Karen. They're in Russia right now doing the same thing, pretty much, that Arlene does, training up disciples and leaders for Jesus Christ. They're in Russia, in St. Petersburg, doing that very thing as we speak. Well, maybe not as we speak. They might be in bed right now. But you know what? They're doing the same thing. That's what we want to do. We want to be generous with our time. We want to be generous with our money. So over the years... Um, you know, there's things you discover along the way. And if you've been doing what I've been doing for as long as I've been doing it, there are a few things that kind of come to the surface about different things. For me, over the years, I've discovered that there are some subjects, there are some words that many of us church people struggle with. 
Words that make us a bit uncomfortable. Uh, words that, that, that we hear and we start to fidget. Our hands get a little uh, uh, wet with sweat. <laughs> and we're just basically uncomfortable. They're hard for us to hear because they make us uncomfortable. You can call these Christian four-letter words if you want. If that, that helps you, that's really what they are. And here are some of them that I know people struggle with. One is the word holy. When you talk about holy, people get a bit nervous, especially nowadays. When you say obey, that's another word, the word obey. Well, what does that mean? You mean I got to totally surrender to Jesus Christ? Yes, <laughs> that's what obey means. But we struggle with the word obey. We struggle with the word hell. That's a tough one, tough one to talk about. But I can say this by far, the one that really comes to the surface more than any other four-letter word in the church is the word give. That's the one that probably makes you and I more uncomfortable than any other word that we could talk about or teach on in God's word. And it's amazing because when we talk about Jesus, Jesus talks about giving more than any other subject in the Gospels. That's what he he talks about. What do we give? And what does our giving look like? I think there are two things that can be hard for us to give. If you're like me, these are the two things that are very difficult for us to give. One is our time. Because we can't really recoup that, can we? Unless we know Jesus and we follow him. He says he will redeem the time and relationship. But time is a difficult thing for us to give. It seems pretty precious today. And at the same time, we waste a lot of time in the generation that we're part of. And I think the other word is, um, or, or the other thing that we have a hard time giving is not only time, but it's giving our money. It's giving our resources. We struggle with that. So here's what I, I would like us to do for the next few weeks. What I want to do is I want to talk about giving and what it means to live a generous life. And I want to do that not just in, 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 a, in a vacant cloud. I don't want to do that just in, in, in some void. I want to do that with biblical framework. That we need to talk about what giving looks like according to God's word. And that what we find from that is that we can be inspired and we can think differently. We can practice differently because God's word is alive. The Bible says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. That it brings life to us. So did you know again that Jesus talks about giving more than any other subject in the gospels? And I think there are probably a few good reasons why. Number one is this. Jesus knows that giving is more about our heart than it is about our money. And you know this, if, you, if you've walked with Christ or if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, what does he want more than anything else? Yeah, he wants your heart. That's what he wants more than anything else. And Jesus talks about that. He says, you know, your heart and your treasures kind of are at the same place. <laughs> where you store up your treasure, there your heart is. Where your heart is, there your treasures are. And he, and he constantly is talking about those two things. What he's after is our hearts. I think Jesus talks about giving because, um, because giving reflects our Heavenly Father's love. I think that's another reason he talks about it. He wants us to reflect the Heavenly Father's love. You know, when I, when I talk to people and I ask them, what's your favorite scripture? You know, the one I get most, you probably can already guess. The one that I get most, the one that I hear the most is John 3.16. John 3.16 by far is one of, the, one of the most favorite scriptures on the planet. But if you listen to it closely, listen to what it says right at the get-go. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? Yeah, you got to connect those two. You always got to connect those two. Because there's action to love. 
And that's what God did for us. Aren't you glad that God just didn't make this a theory? That he just theoretically loves you, but he actually loves you. And so what he does is he gives. And what does he give? He gives his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him would not perish. They would have everlasting life. I think another reason that Jesus talks about giving is because giving helps keep our greed in check. Generosity helps keep our greed in check because left to our own devices, we're pretty greedy people. I'm just going to say that. I mean, sin nature in us, if we operate by the flesh, we are greedy people. And so what does giving do? What does generosity do? It keeps that greed in check. Now I want you to do this. I want you to look at Luke chapter 10. And this is a conversation that Jesus has with a man who's an expert of the law. In other words, he's a lawyer. And, And this is how it starts out in verse 25 and 26. It says, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. What's he doing? He's trying Jesus. He's trying to trap Jesus. He's not, what, he's, what he's not doing is he's not wanting to necessarily be instructed by Jesus. He's not wanting to follow Jesus. He just wants to test Jesus. And he asks this question. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Asking questions to a rabbi was something that was very common, especially in that day. And a question that had to do with eternal life was asked all the time. How do I get eternal life? It's like asking a politician about their policies. What is your foreign policy? What is your domestic policy? Why do you ask those questions? You ask those questions so certain things would be revealed about your Uh, your philosophy or your worldview or your politics. When you ask questions, that's what happens. In this case, the lawyer is asking a question of Jesus because he's a rabbi in order that his theology would be revealed. So he's asking this question so that Jesus would reveal his theology. The answer gives us that when we have this discussion or see these kinds of discussions in the Word. Jesus responds with a question himself. I love this. And and can I say this? In the Gospels, I've counted Jesus asking over 100 questions. I just, I'm curious. I'm a curious guy. I went through. Annette's probably seen me sitting there going, one, two, three, four. Because I want to know. He asks a lot of questions because good questions are good for life. And so Jesus asks over 100 questions. This is one of them. He says, what does the law say? You're the expert in the law. You're the attorney. What does it say? And what he's saying is, what does the first five books of the Bible say? We call it the Pentateuch at Canby Bible College. It's the first five books of the Bible. The lawyer answered in verses 27 and 28. He said, he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this, and what will happen? You will live. This is interesting to me. Jesus says, you got it. He says, bingo. <laughs> he, and, and the amazing thing to me right here is you have an expert in the law, and you have Jesus on the same page. Because they both agree that these are the two most important things that you can do on this planet. And this is remarkable because the Jews had 613 laws that were established. So you had to be an expert in the law. This man talking to Jesus knew those 613 laws. And he distills it all down to two. Love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, bingo, do this and you'll live. 
you'll live. Now, look what happens in verse 29. In verse 29, it says, but he wanted, the, the attorney, the, 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 the expert in the law, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's a good question. I mean, if, if, if that's part of the law, if that's one of the two laws that you want to obey while you're here on this planet, it's really important. It's good to ask the question, who's my neighbor? That's a great question. And if you're, you are to love your neighbor, then you need to know who your neighbors are. Now, the thing that I want you to hear here, and the thing that I want you to understand, is the word neighbor back then meant this. It meant a fellow Israelite. It meant someone who was like me. It meant someone who believed like me, who lived like me, who act like me. And in fact, one of those 613 laws, I can't tell you which one, but one of those says, in fact, they gave perimeters. Like, your neighbor is the person that lives three miles to your north, west, east, south. That's your neighbor. So they gave perimeters. They said, here it is. This is your neighbor. And so this, this, this expert of the law, he's asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he doesn't hear what he wants to hear because he wants to keep his club. He wants to hang out with people who are like him, who act like him, who talk like him, who, who worship like him. But that wasn't the definition that Jesus was content with or one that he used to describe your neighbor. So Jesus gives this illustration. He says, now you think this about a neighbor. I'm going to tell you what I think about what your neighbor or who your neighbor is. And he starts at verse 30. He says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. And he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense that you may have incurred. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go go and do likewise. Go and be like this. See, the lawyer wanted an explanation for neighbor that would be exclusive to just his Jewish friends. He wanted an explanation for the neighbor that would be people like him. Jesus says, it's anyone who needs you. I mean, really, your neighbor is anyone who needs you wherever you are, whenever you are, wherever you are, you have neighbors. It's who needs us. And Jesus, what he does is he broadens the definition of neighbor. The neighbor in this story is, in fact, an arch rival of the Jews. It's a Samaritan. So why does Jesus pick a Samaritan, the opposite end? I mean, this had to rankle the expert in the law because he's wanting it just to be Jewish exclusive. And Jesus says, I'm I'm just going to blow you away. I'm going to talk to you about a Samaritan who actually did the right thing and had mercy on somebody that our own people didn't have mercy on. Wow. 
you got to get this because Jesus is just frying this guy. This guy thought he was going to come in and trick Jesus, try Jesus, test Jesus. It gets all turned around. I mean, it blows up. Jesus says, love your neighbor. Can I tell you there are three different mindsets? And I'm going to say, I'm going to even go further. There are three different lifestyles Jesus identifies in this story. And I want, I want you to know something about the parables Jesus teaches. This one is included. That typically when Jesus speaks or gives a parable or gives a story, it's not just about an incident that took place that's just a, a standalone incident or a standalone occasion. What Jesus is wanting to do is point out a lifestyle. He's saying to us that this is the way this robber was before he entered the picture, and this is the way he probably was after he entered the picture. The same with the Levites, same with the priests, same with the Samaritan. What he's trying to do is let us know these are lifestyles, and he's identifying these lifestyles. So what are they? What are the three that he identifies? Number one, what's yours is mine, and I'll take it. That's the attitude that he identifies. Now, we know the robber is the, 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 the culprit here. He's the one who says, what's yours is mine, and I'll take it. Now, where does that apply to me? Well, I'm going to tell you where I think it applies, and probably in the world that we live in, there are a lot of, uh, of folks that believe this. The world owes me something. You know, because the world owes me something, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go take it. And I, I would say this. If you have any part of that, a, a sliver of that in you, that you think the world or someone owes you something, I, I, you need to come to, to, to meeting with Jesus on that one. Because that can ultimately destroy you. can ultimately eat you from the inside out. And so Jesus identifies this kind of attitude, this kind of lifestyle. The second is this. What's mine is mine. And I'll keep it. No thanks. Don't want to share. It's mine. I'm going to keep it. I worked hard for it. Um, I work 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week to get all this. I'm going to keep it. This was the attitude, the lifestyle of the, of the Levite and the priest. Those that represented the religious community. And I think it's important for us to really take note of here, what, what's going on here. What's happening is the Levite and the priest were so self-absorbed with their business. And it wasn't that their business was bad. Business is good. But they were self-absorbed. The basic thing here that I see is they just didn't have the time to deal with this man who had been beat up. They didn't have the time to take out of their day, off their calendar. They had an agenda. They were going to meet that agenda. That was their goal, and that's what they were about, and they were just going about their business. They just didn't have time. Nor did they have eyes to really see what was happening. And this is the way I, I, I want us to, to think about this. The way I pray for my own life. God, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be so self-absorbed, even with religious stuff. Seems like we're doing everybody a favor with our religious stuff. But we're really not. They probably thought, the Levite and the priest thought they were doing somebody a favor. You know, hey, I'm, I've, already, hey I've already got this down. <laughs> and, 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 and so they, they go about their business and they don't look at somebody who can't give them anything in return that's really what was going on there man this guy's all beat up he can't help me he he can't give to the church he can't give to the synagogue he can't why why do i want to take my time and stop and help him it's not on my schedule so hasta la vista and then there's a third not only what's yours is mine i'll take it what's mine is mine i'll keep it but i love this one what's mine is yours and i'll share it that, that's the attitude. That's the lifestyle here. And you know who that is. It's the good Samaritan. He shared what he had with his neighbor. 
So let me ask this question, and I think there's some principles here for us to look at, and that's this. How can we develop generous hearts like this good Samaritan? I mean, how can we, because that's really who I want to be in the story. I think everybody here would probably say, yeah, I want to be the good Samaritan. Sure, I don't want to be the robber, that's for sure. That's a bad guy. You know, he's the one that wears the mask and you know, you're going to hurt somebody. You know, he's the villain in the story. But then we look at the, the, the Levite and the priest and, you know, there's some, there's some villainish things going on there, I think. So we want to be like the good Samaritan. So here are three principles, I think, that can help us. First of all, you need to know this. You will reap what you sow. Now, if you think that's just something your mom told you when you got in trouble or your dad told you, it's not. It's actually, it's, it is in the Bible. It really is in the Bible. It's actually in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. What comes around goes around. There's a lot of different ways that you can frame it and say it. Uh, you, here's another way. You can't outgive God. So there's the positive and the negative side to this. It's just a general statement that says this is a law. This is a principle. Uh, on the negative side, you're going to reap what you sow. Oh, no. You know, on the positive side, you're going to reap what you sow. That's what he's saying. There is a principle at work here. So when we are generous, we disarm the power of material gain. That's what happens. We disarm it. Here's another principle. Generosity, and I love this one. Generosity is an expression of of lordship. Um, What happens when you're generous? I I think probably the the greatest thing that can happen is that you emulate Jesus. When I think about what what would be the greatest gain here of of being generous, I would say, hey, emulating Jesus. I mean, you think about the life of Jesus. I mean, he came, he died, he laid his life down. He was put to death, the death of, it says in Philippians chapter 2, even the death of the cross, which means the nasty death, the horrible death, the robber's death, the sinner's death. He gave it all. He emulate Jesus lived a generous life. We can emulate Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verses two through four. I love this. This is about the Macedonian churches that got together. And it says, In the midst of the very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Paul says this, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. These are people who are racked with poverty, racked with persecution. What does the Bible say? They got together and they wanted to give out of, the, out of their own hearts. That's what I think they were doing. They were expressing the lordship of Jesus Christ. What they were saying is Jesus is the Lord of our life. Jesus is the Lord of our church. Jesus is the Lord of our community. And you know what he does? Jesus gave everything, so we will too. That's what they're doing. That's what they're saying. Listen, God owns, we manage, and steward. Just remember that. Can you keep that? Can you keep the ownership correct there? God owns. He's signed the bottom line. He owns it. Our responsibility is to manage and steward that. And that's one of the reasons we offer Dave Ramsey courses here. And I think there's some going on right now. Chuck Deserano is the guy you want to look for. But there are classes that you can get in that help you with your finances to be a good steward. Listen, a generous heart always requires an outward focus. I don't think you can ever really be a generous person if all you're thinking about is you and yours. It just seems to me it would be very, very, very difficult, impossible. 
it will always require an outward focus. It always requires being aware of what's around you and, and seeing and touching those needs that are, are around us. So we have that. That's what it means. So here it is. Here's another one. So generously where you can have an eternal impact. So generously where you can have an eternal impact. It's just a matter of a wise investment. That's, basically, that's what I would say. I mean, we do it in the worldly things. We do it with our 401s. We do it with our uh, mutual funds. We do it. We, we don't want to get ripped off. We're not going to go put some money in some defunct fund. No, what we're doing is looking for the best investment, the best return, aren't we? Listen, we have to have eyes that see kingdom investments. And I think that's where we might fall short in the, the time we live. We're not seeing and having an eternal perspective where we're saying, I want to make the best in impact for the kingdom of God. That's what I want to do. And that's where, I want to, that's where I want to invest. That's where I want to put my money. So here, let me give you this. There, from what I can tell, there are, there are three types of giving seen in the Bible. One is tithe. That's 10% of your income. Uh, <laughs> which we really work hard at talking ourselves out of. Um, <laughs> well, that's the Old Testament. Yeah, I've heard that one. Uh, by the way, next week I'm going to talk about the truth of tithing. Out of Malachi. All right, so we're going to hit that one. All right? It's not a four-letter word. It's a five-letter word, but boy, it hurts. All right? So we're going to go after that. Tithe is one way. Offering is another. That there were offerings taken for whatever the project might be. There were offerings taken uh, to go to Estonia. There were offerings taken to go to Rwanda. There were offerings taken to go to Russia. There's offerings taken to go to Albania. There's offerings taken to go plant churches. There's offerings taken to do these kinds of things. And by the way, uh, the tithe helps support the launch pad. Do you know what I'm saying? We send. So your 10%, your general end fund, helps to launch these incredible outreaches to the world. That's amazing. And Annette and I believe that offering is above and beyond our tithe. That's the way we live. We give, and and here's the, let me, well, we'll get started there. Here's the third one. Uh, Tithe, offering. There there is seen in the Bible extravagant gifts. Now, let me tell you what that is. That might be a once in a lifetime thing or twice in your life or maybe three times at the most. But I've seen many in this community, right here in our church community, they've come across something and they give this extravagant gift. It's above their tithe. It's above offering. It's an extravagant gift. There's room for that in Scripture. The Bible says there are some that do that. And and you see it modeled in the Old and New Testament. That is amazing. And for those that have given extravagant gifts, God bless you. It's, It's incredible. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 2 says, on the first day of every week, he says, here, how do you do that? Where do you do it? Hey, right here, the first week, uh, Sunday, uh, each one of you should uh, set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, save it up, so that when I come, no collections have to be made. Paul's just giving him instruction when we can do this. Where's a good time to take, where's a good time to do all this? I love the practicality of God's word. So, one of the things I want you to know, as I finish here, and I think it's good to say this, Annette and I so believe in the kingdom impact that comes out of this place from you that the large part of our finances, our money, our giving goes here. We give outside of here, but we give above and beyond 10% to the invest. It's not because I'm just, oh, he's the pastor, he does it, you know. I know a lot of pastors that don't do that. 
We believe in what God's Holy Spirit is doing in your life and doing here and out of here. You have an incredible track record of which you heard one of the stories this morning. That is an eternal impact. I want to invest in that. Man, that's where I want to give. I'm thinking, whoa, I can give to that. I can give to that. And I'm going to say this. Don't flood us with a lot of requests and that night, but I'm going to say this. When people, especially youth, our kids, ask for help on a mission, I don't think we've ever said no. We might not give a, t- you know, I mean, it might not be a thousand bucks, but we never say no. We get those requests from your kids and your grandkids, and we look at that and we say, absolutely. The same way when your kids knock on my door for baseball, football, fire department, I always give to that. That's stuff I give to. That's just my heart. That's my passion. We give to things that have an eternal impact. We so believe in what God is doing in you and through you in this place. We want to keep investing. What are we doing? We're making disciples who make disciples for Jesus. That's what we're doing. Here's what Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 say. Paul says to Timothy, I command you who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do so, to be rich as good deeds, be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation of the coming age, the eternal age, so that they might take hold of life that is truly life. And I say amen to that. Let's keep making disciples who are making disciples. Will you bow your head with me? Father, we want to thank you today for your amazing generosity to us. Um, I mean, we're here, and whether we, whether we know you've been generous or not, you have been. It's a fact. It's who you are. You can't help yourself. The Bible says that you are love, and love expresses itself in so many forms of generosity. Lord, let us be those kinds of people. Let us be generous in the days to come so we can see your kingdom grow and we can continue to make disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray and we all say together, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.